everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player, a D3 all-star, and a guy who peaked in high school use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about everything but. Now here's John, Luke, and Tex. Drop on. Kick the wheels right before the hammer strikes. Make sure the levels fall from low. I got the girls shining in those so bright. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? You're talking, well, you're not talking to any of us. We're talking to you. This is Luke. And Tex. I feel like we're having a conversation with a whole bunch of people that. But are they talking back to you, think? Like in the car, are they yelling? Yes. Like, what are you talking like, about? Like, it's like listening to Chicago Talk Radio, <laughs> where the people in the car are like, oh, what are you doing? Yes, yes. It was. Um, Trubisky. As you guys know, I'm fresh off. A, another Bears w- victory in Chicago, and I got to listen to sports radio yesterday. Oh God! And all it is is like the Bears are one of ten teams in the league that are two and zero. They are undefeated, but they're a bad football team. This football team is bad, and it's, it's just like bad. Mitch Trubisky cannot run an offense. You know they're playing not to lose, and it's just like well, I'm glad <laughs> to see Bears fans are still happy. <laughs> so uh, it was dude, a fresh reminder. Did yeah. you guys watch the game last night with the Raiders? I did. Yeah. No. Oh, man. I uh, First of all, the Raiders have a running game, which they've always had fairly decent running game, but that kid ran great. And uh, uh, Carr, David Carr. I mean... Derek. Oh, sorry, Derek Let's Carr. not confuse this with eight years of losing and ruining my Sunday with David Carr. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> I switch it. What, it's, it's... Derek. Derek. His little brother. Derek Carr. Okay, let me write that one down. I, you know what's funny is I saw him out there and I was like, man... I can't believe David Carr looks bigger and jacked and actually is a good player. I thought it was the same bump from the, from the, from Houston, and it's his little brother, huh? No, David Carr famously took a mental illness Sunday off, so he was on the like the questionable or did not like the out for like a mental. Yeah, well, he needed a mental break. This uh, Derek Carr, I mean, big, strong, like looked the part, good throwing motion, like what John Gruden looked like what you would expect an NFL quarterback to look like. Mm. Uh, the Must Raiders' nice. offensive line is still grossly obese. Well, incognito, and they are the highest paid offensive line. Uh, the fact that Richie uh, incognito yeah. is still playing. Hasn't been canceled. Uh, he's like, well. How look, quickly we forget. Well, what's crazy is when I was, he was still playing, or he, was a, uh, he wasn't a young guy when I was playing. So this has got to be his 14th or 15th year. So I'm, I'm pretty surprised with the, with the troubles and the tribulation or the trials and the tribulations their, he's had that he's their still... Their new stadium is... Insane. Insane. It's black. It's pretty awesome. I mean, the the turf looks nice, the field. I mean, after playing in that shithole that was the Oakland Coliseum for all those years to come out and have it, I mean... It's got to be nice. Well, it, like, sometimes you just got to shake off the bad karma. Is that... You, you know? think that is, yeah, like... 100%, man. There's, like, this... This idea of going into a new place and as a player you're going into this like multi, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, like, I don't know what they spent on it, but it's got to be three, four hundred million dollars, if not more. I, I um, don't know, but it's it's pretty beautiful. Like the, the aerial aesthetics. view. Aesthetics. The aerial view, it's like across the highway from all the all the beautiful casinos. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's And it's great. all black and it's got cool shapes and it's just, it looked really nice. And from inside, like the lighting. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like the lighting inside, uh, like just looked different than any other team that I've seen like that. So it looked really nice. The owner, out of solidarity for the fans, he's foregoing attending the games. 
So they're one of two teams that committed to no fans in 2020, mm-hmm. and he had a respect for his people. Missing the first games, according to the announcers, since he was eight years old with his dad. Mark Davis. Uh, I saw a hilarious All picture right. of him. I don't know if you guys guys want to take a second well, to Google his picture. he's a funny-looking guy. So he's got red hair, and oh, it's cut guy. real short. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the best was somebody was like, Mark Davis looks like the toe that is infected in the in in like the like the comic like deal where like the toes infected mm-hmm. he's the infected big toe yeah yeah and uh when as soon as they said it i was like yeah that's a pretty good accurate he's uh, got the lloyd christmas haircut yes. going. oh dude he's got something weird going but when your father is al davis we're just happy that you know you're not wearing uh you know a dress and you know doing something crazy in this world not that mm-hmm. wearing a dress is crazy but who i've knows? seen crazier yeah I think we well, have. you're coming off a <laughs> Naperville bachelor party. Uh, yeah. The Paris of the Midwest. Um, yeah, did not see it. I'll have to go peek at it. We, uh, uh, but uh, um, I was actually impressed. Uh, you know, the Raiders. I I have this love hate relationship with the Raiders, having grown up a Raiders fan, then obviously playing Kansas City, where we used to just go down there and curb stomp them <laughs> in that shithole. Like I have this really interesting, just like love hate, and I was legitimately happy to see them play well. Yeah. And, uh, like, the fact that they got a quarterback, they got a running game, um, you know, their offensive line still looks like they got diabetes. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. The diabetes. And oh. they, they haven't changed their drafting technique because they took the fastest guy in well, the draft. That's but the deal. he, dude, I was watching him, and he had some plays, and I was like, holy shit, that's speed. Yeah. yeah. Going against speed. Yeah. Well, that's Al Davis's awesome. deal. Whoever the fastest guy is in the draft, regardless pick of who he is, up. we're going to work. Yeah, pick him up. The ultimate differentiator. Speed. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. That's right. We have a crew episode today. Mm. The hotline is open. Hot. It is hot. We got a juicy one. Ooh. Got I a juicy it. one today, John. Like a like how juicy? Uh like some you can really sink your teeth into? Yeah, that juicy. Oh. I mean, I think it is because it's like it's an interesting trip down memory lane and it's an opportunity to provide our listeners with an opportunity to learn from our mistakes. You Dude, do you know what's not juicy? Uh lots of things. So <laughs> Friday night, uh I the cams popped up that there were pigs in the pasture. Oh, this sounds so juicy. So I, I came out uh, under cover of darkness, shot a pig, and it took off running. So I like, in the morning, I wasn't like, I kind of searched around at like, you know, midnight, and I'm like, I'm not going down in the creek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the next day, we were doing the man in the arena for the block ones. And like the first one, I like drove all over, walked the creek, couldn't find it. Second one, did the same. Then at lunch, everybody took off, and I stayed down there, and I like walked the whole creek. I found the pig in the water, mm. right? So it jumped in the water, didn't get across. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was kind of stuck underneath like some tree branches. So I finally saw it, got in there, fished it out and dragged it up. And uh, it had obviously bled out and had some rigor mortis and water logging. So yeah. Yeah. that was not juicy. That is not juicy because there's no apocalypse with that. No, it was, uh, it, it was probably a 60 or 70 pounder, which would have been ideal to eat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seeing as I found it mm, right. almost 13 hours later. Yes. And for our listeners here, listen, this is varmint. We're, the, feral hogs. Feral hogs in Texas are a huge, huge issue. Dude, they For landowners in, and for yeah. like they're, they're charging through neighborhoods and stuff. So like. Dude, they destroy. It sounds a bit morbid, I know. But if you're not familiar with 
you know, like species control and hunting and permitting. Like there's no regulation on yeah. hunting hogs out here by the DNR because well, it is such a problem. They, uh, so when we went back to California, uh, they must have sensed that I wasn't here. And about 15 of them came in and just decimated underneath our oak trees. Yeah. Tore up all this land, did this. And so every night now I got to go out there and try to blast at them. So it's, uh, it's an absolute like like locusts these things just come through and destroy everything mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so we we have to hunt them to extinction that's right so that is an example of not juicy nope here's what's juicy hotlines open texting voicemailing we've got listeners giving us all sorts of interesting feedback opportunities whether it's what's that guy's name john casino mike mike casino who is the dude that does the uh, peanut steve statues? casino steve casino so hopefully we get Steve Casino on in the future. If no. you want to know who that is, just go on social. Look we up don't Steve need Casino. Steve Casino. Steve Casino one. So there's two out there. Well, oh. no, there's a Steve Casino that got in there first. Yeah, kind of exactly. like when uh, Luke Summers went to go to his Twitter handle and he's like, who's this guy that has Luke Summers? And then about 20 minutes later, he's like, I think that might be me. Hold on. Let me check my old email. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> Still got it. Uh, but some other asshat named luke summers got my instagram so now so, i have to be the luke summers well, it's, you're like guy. you're kind of like you're um yes. emulating your man god yes the dave castro yes tdc as i like to call him they call me tdl in the uh TD, tdl tds <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, yeah T, well, no, uh, tls 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 isn't that like tlc yeah don't go chase waterfalls, waterfalls. <laughs> God, the other it. guys. I have we no, should, no we idea should, what you're talking about. We should do. Yeah, I got no idea. Come on. You know you're dropping TLC. That would be a movie to review. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just. I we just, don't want no scrubs, Sean. Just the line <laughs> out of like, I'm just talking about Dirty Mike and the boys oh. getting in here, having a soup kitchen. Oh, man. So, okay. We've gone down six or seven rabbit holes already. This is going to be a good one, ladies and gentlemen. But that's right. The hotline is open and we have a question here for mm. the crew, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, this is from our friend Tom Watt, who's a longtime listener. Hey, power athlete. I love the show and I love the banter. Nothing like it on the internet. S Tom JJ brother? Yes. <laughs> no, this is Tom uh, with the dreads. No, that's uh, uh, Tom Wild. Tom Wild. Wild. That's Tom Wild. So we He's have, the best. We have a longtime listener uh, and he knows that we have, uh, let's see, let me get recalibrated. <laughs> Yes, so Bill. I'm a longtime listener and I know you guys have been around the fitness industry for a while and part of the gym business industry. Uh, and you've seen this evolve since your time at CrossFit Balboa, right? So for those who don't know, uh, the big guy ran a CrossFit gym or opened a CrossFit gym in 2006, 2008. And uh, that is where I popped out of Chicago and went and worked at CrossFit Balboa in 2011. Tex has worked at CrossFit DuPont out east. Yep. Managed yeah. managed Balanced Gym. Balanced Gym still in business, but one of their off branches that had a great opportunity to lead. Yep. And before my time at Balboa, I was working out in CrossFit Naperville with the Yunk, as we like to call them. So we, we've been, that was back in that like 2007, 2008 timeframe, right? So you've seen this business and industry evolve since our time uh, working at these CrossFit gyms. I was curious with everything you all have learned about the gym business over the years, what would you guys do differently if you had to open up a gym in today's environment? Thanks as always. 
There's a lot to unpack there. There is. Um, When I got into the gym business, I kind of got into it for kind of a purist reason. I wanted a place to lift weights. I thought that I could give people the joy and uh, like the experience of lifting weights and getting strong. Um, As I look back on it today, I think anybody venturing into the gym business needs to have a hard, uh, like kind of a hard decision with themselves and make a a decision that day and say, do I want to lift weights? Do I want to have a place that people want to come lift weights and train and have fun? And I want to run it like a clubhouse. If that's the case, be fine with making no money. And have a second job or have a job and make this your side hustle. Yes. And just have people come in and train and treat it like that. You know, do, you know, minimal type of marketing stuff, handing out some business cards, you know, asking for referrals and just kind of run it in that vein and expect that you will make just enough to keep the doors open and maybe add a few pieces of equipment over the course of a year and maybe, um, you know, pick up some members that want to coach and kind of just run it like a clubhouse. Or you can make a very conscious decision to run it as a business from day one. And that looks like uh, understanding marketing, understanding how to um, you know get into a location where you know I have CP uh, like um, conditional uh, use yeah, permits, conditional use permits. Protect uh, yourself and insulate yourself from local businesses that are going to bitch about yep. the noise and the traffic and the parking. Like so, location location selection yep. is like if you, man. Well, and, there uh, is like selecting a location. Oh, yeah. There's growing into that location. There's your move after you grow out of it. If you even want to grow out of it, because I don't know that I would recommend that. I would tell people if you hit your capacity, raise your pricing, let some members go and just stay small. Well, that's assuming if you found a location that allows you to do your business. I mean, when we were in, we we finally hit our third location when we figured out that like, hey, uh, the neighbors around here don't care. We kind of went through all these different, uh, you know, things with the city, setting up the whole deal, Uh, went and built showers. I mean, if you're going to run it like a business run it like a business. Come in, get the systems in place, understand marketing. Don't just be the, uh, hey, I like to lift weights. I think I'll figure it out on the fly. Yeah. Actually go around and talk to, you know, and I, I don't recommend getting into these uh, like business mentorships where you got to pay a, a big amount of money, but I would definitely go around to some, um, you know, some gyms, maybe not in your area, maybe a little bit farther away so they don't look at you as a competitor, but go in and talk to them about, hey, what are some of your pain points? What are some of your problems? What are the systems that you're using? Uh, the one thing that we've done is we've ended up with this tech stack where we have too many things. I think some people really have a similar deal. You know, I got MailChimp, I got this, I got this. Go in and see if you can find one product that helps you not only manage your clients, does your billing, but also helps you, uh, you know, send out emails and really just stay it in and, um, you know, write a good business plan and actually take it upon yourself to run a good business that is a service oriented business and you providing a service, have an onboarding system where people come in, stick to a philosophy, have a, you know, all the type of stuff. But I mean, I would say, I would tell people day one, uh, there's you know three classes that you can come to for the first, uh, first four weeks, which is going to be basic strength training, teaching people how to lift weights. What we've seen not only over the last 10 plus years with the CrossFit market is the biggest determining factor for people to have fun is how competitive they are in the watt. And if you can take some time to let them get strong enough to where they feel competitive instead of just constantly feeling like, I'm trying to do this stuff, I, I, I can't take up for it, but... If we can take some time, let people get better with the barbell movements into a low-stress environment, I think when they get into the general pop, they'd do a lot better. But I think having a very, very specific plan of attack that you can tell people, uh, understand, you know, um, I don't know if I would do a month-to-month, uh, you know, the month-to-month contracts. Mm-hmm. I would have people do at least a uh, three, six-month or a 12-year commitment. 
and say, hey, um, it's a minimum three, six, or 12, and I'd give kind of a, uh, you know, like a tiering program and say, I don't want month-to-month members. I want people that are committed to this. And I think what happens is, is you're going to get a lot of people that are, well, I don't want to commit to this. Well, then you're not the right person for me. And being able to set that in day one is so important because I think you open a business and you're happy anybody shows up and you bust over backwards, you bend over backwards to help people. And when that happens, they take advantage. Mm -hmm. So understand that you got to pay yourself and you need to run a, a good business. But also the other one too is don't go into a space that's like unfillable. Like, I mean, those people that are going in and, you know, back in the day, I haven't seen this recently, but like, hey, I'm going to get this 15, 20,000 square foot location and we're going to grow into it instead of saying, you know what, the ideal CrossFit size is somewhere between 25 and 4,000 square feet, put in the equipment and then realize that I'm going to stay in this and I'm going to learn how to maximize and run the most efficient business I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know that I would go into the group class model. I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, and I think it depends on, you know, what, are you, what is your strong suit? If you're going to be a solopreneur, right? Like if it's just going to be you running this gym business and like with your lackeys, right? Whoever you get in for trade work or any hourly uh, individuals or your contractors, uh, I think you got to do some self-discovery because let's say you're just more of a natural salesperson. Because my, if you're going to go into this for a lifestyle business that ultimately facilitates your desire and love for training, because that's what you're talking about, yeah. right, John? Is like, I want, I want to own my own gym and I want to train because I'm doing this because I love to train. So I'm willing to make no money to have a bitching gym that I can train at, but it won't be my full time gig. I'm going to be doing something else on the side that will help facilitate. Uh, my fiduciary responsibilities towards my family, my mortgage, blah, blah, blah. This thing is just going to be self-sustaining. If you're a natural salesperson, I would say that boutique, long-term contract, small group, one, one-on-one, one-on-three, like somewhere in that size, is going gonna, is gonna to suit you because you're going to be able to substantiate and differentiate yourself as a business from some CrossFit gym that lets you go month to month for 90 bucks a month. Like if you can build out that value proposition, you can show immediate value in having individualized, specialized programming for individual for folks. I think you could you could crush it, and I think that a great proof of concept of this is you know Mark Ripito and what he's doing. He's like I'm targeting baby boomers because they're retired, yep. they have money, and my training is um, my training philosophy aligns with their capabilities. So there's like that's an interesting demographic. If you're going to be targeting young 20 somethings in this current market who are overloaded with student debt, like understand your market. You don't want that. You don't want the CrossFit chubbies crew. I don't think, cause they don't have money and they're, they're going to be transient. So I think that I, I would try to target a market, like maybe go, I'd try to open up near a hospital and try to get surgeons and doctors. I'd try to get into that cohort of professionals where they have tons of money. They want to stay in shape. They, for the most part can train on their own time. Like I'd be more surgical with my approach than like, Oh, this I'll settle for this spot. Cause it's available. The landlord's willing to work with me. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, so that, that's, that's the area I think I would go with this thing. I, I don't think I would burn the class model completely. I would, uh, I would try to balance it. Like, um, you know, you see people and they're running classes every 45 minutes and they're trying to cycle people through. I think what I would do is I would offer maybe like one or two, uh, kind of what I would call like kind of CrossFit kind of, you know, mixed modal type of conditioning. Mm -hmm. I would have like one dedicated strength training and then I would have majority would be small group kind of deal. And I would let people kind of select where they want to go. 
and uh, from that, because I think with the CrossFit stuff, and especially if you're going to do some like, you know, mixed modal wad type of stuff, it helps to have a group of people, but not like a group of 50, not even a group of 20, maybe like a group of five mm-hmm. and keep this, uh, the class size down to a smaller amount. And, um, you know, if you got to run them more often, but, uh, I really like kind of the personal semi-personal stuff. I, uh, you know, I would never want to go into a situation where I got 20 people coming in paying, you know, 110 bucks a month and are in there just trashing my shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where I would also try to like offer these two different service layers. So I'm basically staying out of, I'm trying to stay out of the 20 to 30 year old demographic. Sure. So what does that then leave us in this 40 to 50 space? Those individuals likely have kids and they likely play sports. So that then gets this other service layer, which obviously layers into our bias and our preference for training, which is sports performance training. So going into that privatized sector. So I would delineate my adult fitness and use that as ultimately like a funnel and feeder system into my youth sports. Because from what I understand, parents are more than willing to pay exorbitant fees for their kids to give them a chance to be. Parents will pay for their kids and for their pets. Right. Like there are people out there. Which is why we also have pet care. (laughs) Well, there's people that'll buy like a high-end organic food for their dogs, but won't buy it for themselves. That's right. You know, there are people will, like I remember years ago, Kelly Urbani coming in and, you know, being like, hey, I, you know, uh, I got this spot for my daughter two weeks at gymnastics and it's like, you know, 150, it's like 75 bucks a session. It's 150 a Mm -hmm. week. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you're going to pay $600. She's like, I have to. Like it's the only place where I do gymnastics. That's the cost. And I remember thinking we are not charging enough. Yep. Yep. But then we realize that parents will tend to pay more for their kids than they will for themselves. And I guess another bias, what I feel is the most underrepresented uh, class of athletes within this sports performance who have access to legit coaching are high school girls, female athletes, whether they're playing, you know, the, the big five sports in high school, like we just, when we were working with the high schools, you didn't hear about them getting much love. They maybe got a handoff of a football program, right? Here's the JV football team strength training program here. Do this. So like, if you could, if you could drive a difference in that demographic as well, I also think like girl dads are going to invest in their daughters and want to see them be successful. Well, I mean, um, uh, we're already kind of seeing it with what Kate's doing. Yeah. So, um, you know, Kate rides at the next door at the barn and, you know, these women want to talk to her about training and now that they're friends on Facebook, you know, she posts a bunch of her training stuff on that and Instagram and just, the uh, the girls that are homeschooling now, uh, are able to ride horses for their PE mm-hmm. and now they want to come over and have Kate show them how to lift weights. So as there I'm getting go. into this, Kate's like, what do I do? I'm like, just teach them how to lift weights. Like, don't focus on the conditioning stuff. Like, just teach them to be strong, teach them how to back squat, teach them how to press like five, you know, four or five basic movements, some little bit of dumbbells, a little bit of push ups, pull ups, mm-hmm. just basic stuff. Like you don't have to get fancy. And I think what happens when people get into the training space is they have this idea of, Hey, I want to get, you know, super technical in this. And they don't realize that 90% of what people need is just the basic movements. Right. And I think that was a mistake in the crossfit. We got into this, but so that's where I'd be worried about the gamification of working out like the leaderboard concept and having it be you versus the group versus you versus you. Sure. And that, that would also be, I'd really want to make it, which is tricky because that's why people also stayed and enjoyed to show up. But can you displace that gamification of the wad into some sort of like self propelled competition where it's you versus you versus the other. That way. is the culture of a gym that they're used to. Mm-hmm. 
So you have the opportunity with your business to now put your and create your own culture within that. Mm -hmm. So if there is the gamification, that is what's been fed to people and you won't buy into that because then that leads to a negative relationship and reinforces poor health and fitness habits where rather than cheering, cheering and rooting for mm -hmm. your teammates, you're pushing against. And then potential line down into a sewer which you'll eventually lose that client to a negative behavior one way or another and that's not what you want you don't want your clients competing against each other you want to be building a brand and a culture and well the uh, my most meaningful clients i would say didn't necessarily come in the crossfit deal came in the personal training and the one-on-one -on -one stuff those were where i think people uh make the most progress i mean the fact that like i'm still in contact with these people yeah, uh, is, is more indicative of, of that. And I think being able to get in and form relationships and help people was really what you're getting into. Um, I, like, it's just, as I look back, I think I needed to make that decision. I think I thought I could do it all. Like, yeah, I can do this. And I just kept piling stuff on my plate. And the problem was I just wanted to lift weights. And when I realized that I couldn't show up and just lift weights and have fun at my gym anymore is when I joined the 12 <laughs> and we started going in there and just banging weights and training. And at that point, when you're paying somebody else's gym membership to lift weights because you don't want to go to your own gym. Red flag. It's time to get out of the gym business. Yeah, yeah. Man, or, you know, because there's, there's Mark Duchene, who was one of our coaches, still, still pretty tight with him, and he's gone the other way. Like, so he scaled up to this mega gym complex concept out of a CrossFit gym. And that's pretty interesting because one of the things that he's done, and this was before really the COVID stuff and the restrictions that were we're seeing on some of these gym businesses, he was going into servicing his clients, like how we've gone to remote coaching. Mm -hmm. So his, the, his goal was to empower coaches from all over the city to coach on their own time virtually. And like, he would just open the facility. And so rather than people needing a home gym, they had this off this epic elevate gym that you go to. And then your coach is on the other side of your app and that's how you're, how you're getting your personal training. So it allowed him to like hit to scale, but then ultimately scale outside of the people going to his gym as well. And then his, they could buy family packages for aunts, uncles in any city in anywhere outside of that local, local region too. So I think I'd, I'd be very intrigued knowing what we know now, especially about remote coaching. Sure. Like it is scalable. And I think that it can be a viable supplemental revenue stream for, uh, for a small gym owner. I really do. I like, if you can get those, those evangelist type members that get past, you know, like the Bonwells, right? Mm -hmm. These, these, Oh, you know, Bonwell, uh, when we were, I was back in California, I guess Bonwell just showed back up. Oh really? Yeah. So Josh Bonwell was a guy that trained with us for years yeah. and he would, he would like slay it for like a year and then take, you know, this. And I think they had a couple kids. And so he came back and my brother Ed's like, Oh, Bonwell's back. I'm like, how's he doing? He's like, awful. He's starting from ground zero again. Oh, yeah. Got out of shape. Yeah. And he uh, uh, was so mad because everybody's crushing him. So he started accusing everybody of cheating. Rep, rep cutters. Yeah. But uh, the, I guess the, the goal of any gym owner should be to build, and this is what we kind of were, were riffing on with uh, the, new, the new course we're talking about, is like progressing your clients past outcome focus into like this level of autonomy that James Fitzgerald was talking about a little bit, yeah. but like to more lifestyle focus where the gym becomes like it, it becomes 
a positive moment in their day and it's just like brushing your teeth. It's part of the routine and getting into this like highly autonomous state where they become your biggest advocates and your source for referrals. So like if you can build a small membership base of that that caliber of uh, uh, client, I think that that would then allow you to scale your business outside of your brick and mortar gym as well. So like there's kind of this life cycle element to it where if I were to open up a gym, I would try to make it so that that gym wasn't the only revenue stream, that membership, that brick and mortar activity wasn't the only revenue stream. I try to break out of that. And I think the remote coaching could be something to, to get into everybody's little network, but I, I don't know, that might be a stretch and maybe I'll be proved wrong uh, on that. But I've been kind of, since this COVID thing hit, that's always been something that would spin up. Like thinking about Harry Shaw, he's got 125 members or something, you know, 200, whatever yeah, he's got. Two, yeah, 200 some. Like what if you could just get half of those members? So let's say 100, half of your membership. And of those, you can get on average two to three people to sign up for like a remote coaching service offered by Lakeway Elite Fitness that uh, that you could totally scale. And you have 300 people maybe paying you well, like 20, 25 bucks a month. Where are they, where are they training? It would be, at, it could be home gym. Well, assuming they have a home gym. Sure. You know, yeah, so you get I mean, a set of dumbbells, like uh, which is equipment availability now is an issue. Yep. However, that would be like, that's the challenge to make. Go. Take the, take the third monkey model and run with that if they're willing to get some cinder blocks or something, you know, like, or make it exercise bands. I don't, build build your gimmick, so to speak, because what we do know is like, if they're doing nothing, doing something will put them in a better place. So would they be willing to do that? I don't know. I, I guess that's that'd be your ability to write killer content that would keep people coming back and uh, and training with you. But I mean, think about it. So... Man, just making a few thousand bucks extra for something like a few hours of your time to set up distance programming. You're already programming for the gym, you know? So, well, I, yeah, clients. I mean, especially in today's climate, I think that uh, more people are going to have something that looks like a garage gym setting. Right. And to be able to provide the training like we do with you know, all of our programs. Um, Big Johnny, who's in uh, Alhambra, he did, he had a pretty interesting deal where he actually scaled down into a much smaller space, like 2,000 square feet. Mm-hmm put it in, you know, it's all uh, this kind of personal training. People sign up and they can come for their slot and I think they pay a pretty decent monthly and then they right. go through and they kind of sign up for their slots and then they come in and the coaches come in and it's a one-on-one situation. You know, they teach weightlifting, they teach how to lift. I mean, they do some conditioning, but somebody walks you through it. Uh, yeah, full a, service. Right? Oh yeah, full service. And I think what he's done, he did is not only reduced his overhead, which you know is always kind of an issue as you see this thing continue to grow, but he also you know maximizes this and he can open up more class slots. And uh, I think that to me, to have a smaller, cleaner, uh, better run, more manageable space mm-hmm. with uh, with a higher end clientele that's willing to pay for one on one training. That's right. Is a dramatically better experience for you as a coach than it is just having 200 people coming in and fucking going crazy doing whatever they're doing uh you know on the wad that day paying you know some really low amount that you're you know competing against and i think in like 2010 11 12 13 14 we were still in the throes of like crossfit's explosion so we had every tom dick and harry opening a crossfit gym right running a uh a fucking group on you know where they were you know like what did uh CrossFit uh, Orange Coast and um, and our buddy yeah ten dollars a month yeah it was like ten first. bucks a month he got uh, three thousand signups on a deal and 
Next thing you know, he implodes the entire market, burns through people, and it was just a shitty experience. So I think now what we've seen is we've seen a curbing of the market where um, gyms have gone out of business. I mean, CrossFit Newport isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know for Balboa, uh, Ben has just gleaned a lot of clients from people that have had their gyms close. Yeah. So yeah. You, you're kind of in this war of attrition, and there's just a few spots left. Um, so I think uh, if that's your business model that you're hoping for other people to go out of business, I think you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. I think uh, wanting a bigger facility with more you know, kind of general fitness members is probably a poor decision. A smaller, more efficient, cleaner nicer equipment, more strategically run gym that services the client and really gives like a nice experience. That to me feels uh, more manageable and wouldn't burn me out the same way that it did. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy doing that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it, you, you got to be the individual who like, if your group of friends is like, hey, we should get together for the UFC fight or for a Friendsgiving, right? And if you're not the person who's hoping that you get to host that dinner party, don't open a gym. Like, do not, because that's what you have to do on that, to, to give that experience. Wait, what's Friendsgiving? Friendsgiving is when all of the closest friends get together to hang out. Have you not been to one? No, I've never been invited <laughs> to one. I don't have any friends. How? What? I've never Dude, been invited to one. I'm, I go to one every year. I've never been to one. Well, good. It's because <laughs> you guys aren't my friends. I'm going to invite my own friends over. Uh, we're family, John. Fuck you. We're a crew. You, I, don't we're, even, I, I don't even know your last name. Luke Rummer. Sumers. TLS. TLS. You know me. (laughs) Don't go chasing waterfalls. Um, Let's see. I I mean, Tex, where would you go? Like, let's say. Well, the in line with John brought up burnout. Yeah. The internal perspective. And this is something that we were discussing and trying to take this deep dive. The A fault. I won't say the biggest or put a label on it, but a fault. And I know many coaches have experienced this, including John. When you start to want it more than your clients and how we were phrasing this is you're fighting and doing your damnedest to get your clients to see health, fitness, exercise, training like you see it. Mm -hmm. That in itself is going, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. You're fighting and trying to get these people to understand like you do. You're throwing every last dollar you have into changing their lives. It's not going to work. How you then communicate and understand goals, different types of training goals, weight loss, strength. And if we look at our great array of training programs offer, all of those are reverse engineered from specific common goals that we've experienced Mm -hmm. and witnessed in our travels. And how we then can change behavior and get people to see it like we see it. We have a character type that is attracted to said goal. We understand this person And then we try to bridge the gap from their experience and perspective from what we want them to understand. Mm -hmm. But how are we doing it? Fun, community, culture, banging weights versus just pointing the finger and telling them or shaking them, Mm -hmm. which is going to lead to burnout because they're not seeing it like we see it. And we get mad and frustrated. And eventually, before you know it, your business is shut down Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. you lose them to someone else that is having the adult recess class and the perspective of fun versus, oh, shit, this is work. You want me to do what? No, mm-hmm. not going to do that. And it's it's tricky, too, because I think in order to effectively scale that across 150 people, like having that conversation 150 times over and over again, if there's two or three people that just aren't getting it, 
it makes it feel like half your members are morons. So it, and it only takes those two or three. Uh, yeah, no, you I know mean, what I mean. Uh, as I remember back, there were um, a few succubuses yeah. in the gym where like you walk in and you feel like the black hole's been created because of these individuals. And I think what we didn't do a good job of back in the day the herd. is realizing that these people were the succubus and were the dementors. And you'd be like, you know what? Ah, this just isn't for you and this isn't working for me mm-hmm. and I think you should go somewhere else. And then firing them. Uh, that is a, it, like the day that I got to do that, I felt empowered and owned my gym again where mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, because I think you get into this where you're like kind of a service-based business and you know the customer's right and then you get people that just fucking hammer you and take advantage of this and you're like, you're not paying me enough mm-hmm. for me to listen to this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard, it's a hard hill to climb to get to that point because like you're not making a ton of money in this thing anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like they kind of are though. You, you Like you want their money because you're just strapping by on a lot on this typical business model. But um. Yeah, I guess, I mean, we kind of went deep on that. Anything else? I mean, would, what are your guys' thoughts on just like a, a private performance facility? Would uh, you be more prone to lean into that? Or do you, do you think you need to subsidize with adult fitness? Uh, I think if you can, I don't know. I mean, it depends on the size of the location mm-hmm. and how well you're able to market it and uh, you know what kind of clientele you have. But I think... Um, Something that looks like a big box, you know, four or 5,000 square feet where you're running, you know, uh, classes from, you know, 530 in the morning till eight o'clock at night and you got all these members strolling in. I think it can be really good. But the problem is, is we found that uh, a single coach, coach owner operator can handle about 100, 120 clients. When you start getting over that, and I know when we hit that number and all of a sudden we started having to bring in more coaches and more people and management mm-hmm. and this and trying to scale it up, I felt like the gym was much more manageable about that 100 buck 20 than it was at 175 or even 200. Mm-hmm. Then it felt like a little out of control, but maybe that's because we didn't have the systems in place because we kind of approached it a lot like, hey, I like to lift weights and it's a clubhouse from day one instead of making a decision. What kind of gym do I want? What's the best way to approach this? What are the systems that I have in place and what's the kind of the, you know, what's worked and what hasn't opposed from just like, fuck it, we'll get some weights. We'll open it up. We'll throw a sign in. People come in, they pay us some money. We're going to bang weights that day. Mm-hmm. You know? Come out to the coast. Have a good time. <laughs> a little diehard reference. Um, so uh, like, but I think that comes down to, uh, Knowing, like, I used to call it a dirt and a dream where somebody's like, I got my level one, cost me a thousand bucks. I got a few hundred, you know, uh, a few thousand dollars in broke equipment. I got this little gym. I'm going to get all these members and I'm going to do this. And then pretty much you're like, I haven't made a dollar and I haven't gone on vacation in two years and I fucking Mm -hmm. hate this place. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also the performance, like the performance myth of you were an ex-collegiate athlete or you were an ex-professional athlete. And we've seen a lot of these businesses fail. But those with, that were able to stay, keep the doors open and keep their passion projects of these professional athletes or even the teens is leaning on that adult fitness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough call if, if that is your, if, but I view that as your passion project is the performance, the speed, the combine right. or the, the youth athlete market your supplemental or I mean what yeah. keeps the lights on is Weed the adult the garden, fit right you got to do the adult fit which uh who's the fella out east um who who built his facilities kind of like a similar model but now he's just like been able to get to a point where his 
hired coaches take the adult fitness and he's just working with the sports performance? Well, we, we've had a few on, but yeah. Cat, Coach Cav is the most recent okay. in line with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wonder if that would do it. I mean, I think it's, if you're going to go boutique, it's all location. You got to be surrounded by the demographic you're going after and you can't just, you can't try to attract everybody. Yeah. And I think you want to get, like, I love Ripto's idea, man. I like oh. how he's just like, I'm going where the baby boomers are. Yeah. Um, they have available income. They yeah. have time. Uh, and they need this. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a great model. I'm like, man, that's, uh, it's kind of like when we sat down and looked and said, okay, you know, what's our demographic? Who are we really attracting? And like the grindstone market, which is that, mm-hmm. you know, cult 32 to, you know, 45, 50, really kind of hits home for me. I mean, that, yeah. that yeah. to me is, I'm, I'm always amazed. I mean, what there's, you know, exponential amount of people in Jack Street and also Johnny Watt and, you know, Hammer is growing really fast and Field Strong's always been a huge performer. Uh, to me, I think the really the, you know, the demographic that Power Athlete really speaks to is that grindstone group. You know, mm-hmm. the people that have a job, they have available income, you know, they're willing to invest into a home gym and mm-hmm. they just want some of the best programming available. Yeah, yeah, have the wherewithal to say, you know, just do do the simple math, right? Okay, so I have a gym membership. Here's what I, here's the, Here's what I pay on my gym membership monthly. Here's what that extend, extends out to over 24 months. Here's the amount of time I'm spending getting to the gym. Where is the waste in that time? Okay, if I trim that and I build out my, and trim out my own home gym, what could I afford over what period of time? Like if, you, if that person thinks like that, they're, they're, that's our grindstone people, right? That's what we've come to find out is they just, they have that longitudinal thought process to see where the true value is in this thing over a longer period of time because they're not... That that psychographic also isn't in it for like an eight week program to lose twenty pounds. Yeah, they're thinking I'm doing this the rest of my life. Sure, this is part of my lifestyle. This is what I want my family to see me doing. This is at least a twenty year endeavor. Like, yeah, you're not gonna you're gonna say oh five grand to build out a home gym. I'll I'll recoup that in thirty six months. Yeah, like, no brainer. Well, the other uh, program that's really been really interesting uh, in the demographics is we've been reaching out and contacting people or people in the Hammer program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just had a guy picked up who's, uh, you know, the top team right now for the tactical games into the Hammer deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Sal, and I can't remember exactly his last name. Uh, but we were going back and forth. And, I mean, there's an example of a guy who's, you know, competing at a high level, using it for something. And, like, as I got into the tactical games, I'm like, man, this is, this is super cool that they have mm-hmm. this. So, uh, you know, and then all, all of a sudden we have a, a large number of people that are, you know, uh, hunters and long distance packers and people that are doing some pretty amazing stuff out in the wilderness that want a training program that are, that's not only going to help them develop a base level of strength, but it's going to stack on enough, uh, you know, sprinting and running and that type of conditioning type of work. So when communicating and, and what John's pointing out, it's important to identify, I'm going to go back to this and cause I think it's important, but goals and Luke touched on this of identifying the, the archetype of person where we're saying age, income, important, as well as when you identify their goal and one of, simplifying it, one of three things, outcome, that would be an example of I want to lose 30 pounds. That's an mm-hmm. outcome goal or I want to bench press X amount. Mm-hmm. Then we have our process people, which is that family man or the, the business professional that Luke was discussing where okay, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. This is part of the process towards being healthy, training with my kids, teaching them the barbell movements, and then we create eventually an identity. We have a a lifestyle of fitness where we have the lifestyle of our backpackers. They are hunters, so they train for their lifestyle goal, their identity. 
So a lot of the the 30-somethings that have the expendable income in that demographic, they're process people. And if you can hear this and their goal that they're expressing to you, once you got the the lead, Mm -hmm. the fish on the line, then you can start to promote and push how you'll empower their process, which will lead to an identity. If they already have an identity, share how you can empower their performance, their goal. If they're outcome people, that's going to be the most difficult. But it, if you change their lifetime, if, and John explained and name dropped a few people that he changed and created an identity of performance and movement and health, if you can take those outcome people towards the identity, they're lifers. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. is going to be the most difficult, and you're going to have to weed through 100 outcome-oriented or focused people churn out, right. for the one two, three that, that John was referencing. And you and I from our gym experience can name those one or two, but how many mm-hmm. people did we work with? Right. And it's, it's hearing these different things from speaking to so many different people, but then how, I mean, how many levers can you pull as a personal trainer or a strength coach? Only so many. So it's the dynamic nature of a person. How do we pull it into all right, all these solutions that I have in my toolkit potentially. Mm-hmm. I do like the one-on-one model. I do like the one, two, three, because I can lean on them and we create this this team environment that I love yeah. so much. Training partners. Training yeah. partners. Well, even if you have, you're not doing the same program, it's nice to just have other people training when you're exactly. training, which is kind of what we do. Uh, one of the emails I got from um, one of the guys on Hammer uh, came down to, I like to go out. I want to, you know, like I, I have this goal. I want to go take a big elk. And he goes, I, you know, I don't know how far I have to go. I, you know, I'm going to kill this thing. I don't want to be in a situation where I can't pack it out. Like I know I can get in there. I know I can get a kill. But when I butcher it and take it up and quarter it out, can am I strong enough to get this thing from that point back to, mm. you know, mm-hmm. however it looks, you know, whether it be the car or the vehicle, you know, whatever it is and wanted a training program and you know was like man hammer hits all those marks for me and uh, i believe that i will be more prepared for that task than i've ever been and like i I love that shit where people are training for like the unknown of like hey like here's the known task but i don't know if i can do it i need your help so that i can be strong enough to bear the load and like those are the type of people like if i could just get ten thousand of those people we could we could do some stuff because oh, yeah. like that's that's somebody that has a realistic expectation like hey i want to do this i want to make sure that when i get to the fight or when i get to the situation where it's going to take everything i have am i strong enough to get it home and that to me is uh is really it's just a, the essence and of there, what there's we're nothing wrong do. with the outcome people it's important that they do touch base with us and we reach out to every single person that signs up to a program it's each of us not a bot i do get mm-hmm. some of that feedback like uh, is this a bot no i'm actually taking the time but if we can find out if they're is that because people, they think you're a robot they may know no, i am not a robot <laughs> <laughs> nice the, no but if we can pull out the outcome and maybe the field strong is not right for their outcome goal yeah, but i can direct them towards right. the appropriate program so it starts to get into this process and eventually they are a power athlete eventually they are you know, buying this awesome new carnivore T-shirt. Damn, I don't even have one of those. Oh, because uh, you're not a power athlete. Or, <laughs> I think I only uh, have two or three. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll go up to but, the trailer. But you can see how, like, even th- with this simple approach, all the people that are buying our T-shirts buy into this power athlete identity, even though they have different goals. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of 
of what you've done, man. And, and like the, the people are coming back from CrossFit football to rejoin in the programs. That's identity. Well, uh, I would have never have thought that the goodwill that we invested for all the years teaching CrossFit football, giving away that program and really just creating that culture, uh, the amount of people that have come back to us because this is best in the biz, best practices is pretty, um, just very telling and, you know, and like humbling for us or at least for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I, I'm always, and you guys have heard me say this for years. So like with field strong, like it's an incredible program, you know, fosters develop athleticism. It's some of the, the most cutting edge stuff that we do is in field strong. And what I love to hear is the practical application. I did this and it helped me get here instead of just, you know, competing in the gym every day. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when there's a practical application of this stuff, you know, and, and it, it can be health and fitness and making sure you're strong enough to keep, you know, pick up your kids and do whatever you need to do. But when it's a real goal of like, I have to be ready on this day to go play in a football season, or I got to, you know, go win, you know, this track meet, or I got to go on this long distance hunt and pack out a thousand pound animal. Or even attacked by a cow and survived. Yeah. Or people trying to break into their car and they yeah. go beat the shit out of it. So like some yeah, cool stuff, them down. other yeah. examples. Or, and so yeah. I think what's, you know... I, this probably feels like a shameless self-promotion for our programs. It might be. But what's important to glean from this in the lesson that we've learned is there are these personas that, that will relate to different training styles. Yeah. Which gets me back into one-size-fits-all large broad brush class. I don't know. That's why, that's why I'm, I would be reluctant to get into that, John, where like a semi-personal, like you said too, like I think you could if you're if you're pretty well how do I want to put this if you have the bandwidth as a coach you could probably facilitate eight people eight people following eight different programs yeah if you design the programming right where there's commonality to it but specificity yeah and it's like that's what's interesting is you know within the framework of all of our our templates there is a core methodology like there's a core there's a lot of commonality but at at the very periphery of this and being the end user of it it feels very unique mm-hmm. right but when we were little, if you were to look at like a side by side of grindstone field strong jack street we could probably thread out the commonalities for these for anybody who'd be like an uninitiated coach so, but my point being is like that's where i think this small group dynamic would help facilitate the ability to deliver that individualized specificity to the consumer of your training and of your coaching. And to fit the James Fitzgerald's point where he meets with you and encourages his coaches yeah. to meet with you, and then you're speaking towards that goal, you're training towards that goal. So if, if it's the small group, mm-hmm. you have this opportunity to keep your finger on the pulse and keep it going mm-hmm. and then see it. And then the, the, it's important, I just think, that the, the goal needs to evolve. Whatever they're coming to you for, yes, ensure that it will happen. But, but at the, the same program time, after the program, the program after the program, the goal must evolve. Mm-hmm. As soon as, and going back to our podcast with Wiederstrom, like as soon as the weight is lost, okay, so what? Now what? Yeah. And helping them evolve their goal to then lead to this identity or this lifestyle that is health or, mm-hmm. in our mind, movement based. Yeah. And versus like, what I think what we were in on the on the Balboa and in the CrossFit side, and I'm not saying every CrossFit gym is like this, so your mileage may vary, but it's one size fits all. It's broad brush stroke. And it works for a lot of people. There's like it works for a lot of people. It just so happens in my observation, 
they're 20 somethings, early 30s. Yeah. And those are the, in my opinion, people who are going to be pretty strapped for cash right now um, in this space. So it's like, do they have a ton? Their their careers haven't matured yet to facilitate a premium price point, which I think I would lean on. And with that said, yeah, but wouldn't the price point that you dictate kind of find the consumer that can afford it? It could if you're. Like, it depend. Well, there's a lot of variables in my opinion there, John. Like it could depending on where you're living. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in an urban environment, there's it's it's quite possible people are spending all their money to be in the city center, right? So then their location, the location of where they're living, is is eroding a lot of their expendable uh, and you know their uh, expendable income that they would potentially put towards a gym membership because they want to be two miles from the lantern or something. Uh, <laughs> but then the what? Or, or their apartment has a gym that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Check. Yeah. Yeah. So like they're, you know, you're paying 3000 bucks for like 900 square feet loft, but you're in like a premier location in the city. So like that, but now I'm like, I'm certainly creating just that straw man N equals one argument to, uh, to do that. But absolutely. Like you're right. Like, and and maybe that's what you got to be aware of in terms of how you're going into any sort of like acquisition optimization and how you're going to get more clients or lead gen or whatever is you have to be sure you're. You're going to the places and talking to the people who can afford the price point you're set. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm just thinking like, you know, in, in Newport beach is an interesting one because you have every economical layer in that little radius. It's so, so condensed. Like there's folks who make some really good cash and have a lot of expendable income, but then there's also like young people who are just getting by, you know, bussing tables or whatever, just to live on the beach and shred the gnar. Like, you know, I was big, big gnar shredder. Do you know what that even is? Uh, I understand that John and Matthew Modine are shredding gnars. I don't think you are. Those are real, real surfers. surfers. Yeah, but I know what it means. Doesn't that give me, eh, whatever. But asked and answered. This one went longer than I thought. Yeah. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ding. If you have questions, we have answers. You know where to send them. 929-464-4640. That number is 929-ING-ING-0. The Power Athlete Hotline is open, and we want to hear what you have to say. Or send this episode to your gym owner, operator. Oh, ooh. Get their take. Hot, yeah, good one. That's a hot, hot move. Hot. And if they shut your gym down after listening, (laughs) I'm sorry. My bad. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. What a fantastic conversation I had today with you boys. It's nice to talk to you. Okay. Thanks, the Luke Summers. TLS, please. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time. Bye!